Hi, everyone, and welcome back to SCORE's podcast, Inside College Admissions. On today's episode, our strategic advisor, Peter Van Buskirk, is going to interview one of our high school counselors. Peter is the owner and founder of Best College Fit and brings over 25 years of experience to college admissions. He's also a contributor to SCORE's blog, so make sure you check out his work there, too. Now over to Peter for today's conversation. Welcome to Inside College Admission, conversations with college advisors about matters affecting the college-going process. My name is Peter Van Buskirk, and I'm joined today by colleague Julie Campschrader at Rittner High School, just outside of St. Louis, who's going to share her perspective with us on what's going on in that particular environment in the age of coronavirus. Uh, welcome, Julie. Thank you, Peter. It's good to, good to be able to spend some time with you. I, I'm wondering if maybe we could start uh, with a, a general demographic understanding of uh, the population with which you work. Absolutely. So Rittner High School is in uh, suburban St. Louis County. Um, we are a very diverse high school of 1,800 students. Mm -hmm. uh, we have actually the most diverse high school in the state because we don't have a majority. So we have about 20% Hispanic, about 43% African-American, maybe 2% Asian and the rest Caucasian. Uh, so it's wonderful working with a very diverse population. It is a Title I school, which means that all of our students receive uh, free breakfast and lunch. Wow, now, and, and, and having a similar relationship with the school district my own children went through, I, I can appreciate the real richness of cultural diversity you experienced there. Um, let's go back five, six months to uh, the spring when things were starting to emerge with the coronavirus. Uh, tell me, how did that hit your school, your district? What, what kinds of things were you beginning to feel at that point? And, and how was the school beginning to respond uh, instructionally at that time? Luckily, we are a uh, Google school, which means uh, we had Google classrooms. So many of our teachers were very good at uh, online teaching and students learning. Mm -hmm. um, all of our students do have Chromebooks, so that was a plus as well. Unfortunately, not all of our students have good Wi-Fi or had Wi-Fi at all. So mm -hmm. lucky for us, uh, St. Louis County Library, and then in the fall, uh, the CARES Act, uh, we were able to get about 350 hotspots that we were able to give to students who needed it so that they could learn virtually. So I believe it was like March 18th was our last day that we were in school. So we have actually been virtual since that day, 100%. Um, so we we're in what we call phase three of our COVID plan, all virtual. Mm -hmm. And there'll be a phase two where um, maybe 500 students at a time will come in on opposite days. Uh, some will continue to be all virtual by uh, choice. And then there'd be a phase one where we were all in class together, which I don't know when that will happen again. When, when do you hope to go to phase two? Actually, I received an email this week. And so phase two is going to start occurring the week of Thanksgiving on that Monday, Tuesday. Wow. So you know, there are already some schools that are doing a, a hybrid approach or sort of in their own phase too. So you're a little bit behind that. Is that due exactly. to uh, a higher level of, of COVID evidence in the area or just uh, all due caution? Yes, we are actually in the red zone here in St. Louis County. So it is kind of interesting that school districts um, are going back and some, as you said, already are back in a hybrid or 100%. Um, we were actually the first school district in St. Louis County to announce that we would be all virtual and that was mid-July and that was very helpful I think to both teachers and students. But we're finding um, because 
we are a lower socioeconomic school, we're finding that it is very difficult for many of our students to be in classes at home, be it many, many students. Uh, for instance, when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a student on college, uh, I can hear in the background, I'm in the third grade classroom with their sibling because you can hear each other. So, and we were finding it very difficult for some of our students. So I think actually that's why we're probably going into phase two sooner than we probably would like to, um, because we wanna make sure that we are helping all the students that have those needs, but everybody will not be mandated to come back. So you've got roughly uh, 400 or so seniors right now, is that correct? 446. Wow, and you haven't seen them in person for months. Since the middle of their junior year. Wow, now how, how are you, connecting with these kids right now? I mean, in, in a meaningful way. I realize they have the Chromebooks and now they have the Wi-Fi, but still that's a lot of a lot of young people for you. And I would imagine you have a number of colleagues to, to try to stay in touch with remotely. Absolutely. So I take one-on-one -on -one appointments through Google Meet. And uh, then when I have larger meetings, I do it through Zoom. My students have access to my Google Calendar. So they decide when they need an appointment. There's typically not a day out there when I have an open time slot. So they, mm. they take advantage of it. But what happens is the student who is having a meeting with me, they realize how much more there is to do. And they'll come back rather frequently. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a a good chunk that I need to see that I am not seeing. And that is, that's a difficult point. I would imagine also in a Title I school, there are probably a fair number of uh, first generation to college students in your population who would not necessarily have an orientation to this college process outside of what you would offer. Do you find that it's easy to kind of lose some kids in the cracks right now? Not just now, all the time. And you are correct. We, we have the vast majority of my students who choose to go to college are first generation. And I was first generation myself. So I feel like I can relate to a lot of what they're going through. Sure. Um, so one of my friends uh, who's a college counselor in a, a very high socioeconomic school, mm -hmm. she'd always say, well, Julie, why are you always so booked? Why are you booked weeks and weeks out? You know, I, I don't understand this. And I said, because, you know, I, I went to community college and I said, I, I still don't to this day know how I have a degree. I have no idea. So that's why I love doing this job. And uh, a lot of students will have four, five, six appointments for community college because they want to know exactly the steps. You know, we will apply together online. We will do FSA ID, FAFSA, scholarship searches, you know, talk about placement tests and things. And then those students applying to the most competitive colleges in the country you know, we could have an appointment every single day. So what I've had to do when I um, came back to the school six years ago, I was here prior, but I returned six years ago and we made a very systematic approach. So we have what we call large group meetings during advisories. Those are once a week and we decide, you know, what grade level we're going into and it's all mapped out a year in advance. And so that's when we give that very large umbrella information. And then I have what we call medium sized groups. And those used to be after school on Thursdays during phase three. Those are during Wednesdays and Fridays at 9.45 a.m. for an hour. They can opt in. Uh, so maybe on Monday, we roll out FSA ID. And on Wednesday, we're there to give help to answer questions. And then the one-on-one -on -one meetings are to figure out their plan based on what they want to major in and their goals. So you're, you're being very present in their lives. Uh, now, in, in a quote-unquote normal year, these kids would benefit from the array of, of outreach opportunities from colleges. Colleges come to visit your high school, the college fairs, college nights, and then the, the open campuses as well. 
that's not our reality right now. Uh, do you find that that's uh, causing some hiccups in, in the way kids are, are engaging in the process? You know, there's pluses and there's minuses, probably more minuses. Uh -huh. uh, whereas obviously the student cannot meet personally with the college rep on our campus. And we all know the personal touch and how that matters. Mm -hmm. um, however, on Fridays during that one hour time period where there are not any classes going on, that's when we're having our college visits. So actually we are having more students sign up because they're not missing class. The state of Missouri, Missouri Association for College Admission Counselors, they came up with just a tremendous program where they had 184 meetings uh, for a three-week period in September and October. And, um, you know, a lot of college representatives in the evenings and on Sundays. But what are we finding? Of course, those kids are, you know, zoomed out. They just are not signing up because they're tired. And I get it because not only are they on camp, you know, online with us 8.05 to 3, then they have to do their schoolwork and my students go to work. I mean, many of my students are working 35 hours a week. Uh, they may be getting home at midnight from work, you know, and having to take classes at 8.05 in the morning. So you're looking at a lot of different obstacles that uh, probably your Title I school students are going through versus even just the emotional social that some of our higher socioeconomic schools are going through. Well, and then maybe the emotional social that some of the first gen kids are as well, because if they're working 35 hours a week, I would imagine many of them are frontline or, if you will, essential workers. Absolutely. Yes, they are. And so are their families. Has the enormity of, of what's happening in their lives hit them? I mean, probably it's, it's an understatement even to ask it, but it, it has. Um, so what I try to do is go with the positives uh, on every meeting. You know, I kind of cheerlead what they've already done. And then I line out what the next step is to try to take some of that stress off of them. And, you know, my last appointment, you could just see she's like, thank you so much. You know, we did four applications in one sitting you know one time period and so that's what my goal is to to ease that stress and to help them basically i told them COVID or not you're going you know and we're going to make this happen and we're going to be here for you lean on us um and they will and they do um but yes of course this is stressful and not only do some of them work other ones where the parents working six days you know 12 hour days they're raising the three youngsters you know siblings and then they have to be on class with them, their work gets put on the back burner. So there's there's a lot of different factors that uh, come into play that it used to be only after three o'clock did they have to take care of the siblings and now they're doing it from the time they wake up. That's that's remarkable. And and, and the stories these young people have to tell and, and I, I, I would well imagine that you're helping them to understand too, the, uh, the potential to, to share that kind of experience in their college applications. But speaking of colleges, are you finding that, that in light of the coronavirus, the, there's a, any kind of a change in the pattern of college searching? Are, they, are kids kind of bringing their search closer to home or are they still finding that they're, they're able to reach out more broadly? Um, I would say a few of the parents want them to come closer to home. Um, the majority of our students um, that are four-year college bound do stay in state. Um, however, our top 10% of the students who are taking, say, AP classes and dual credit courses, um, we mm -hmm. teach them about colleges that meet full need. And uh, we work with them from junior year on to see if that's something that they're interested in. And I would say that the number of applicants for schools that meet full need, you know, those early decision candidates, 
have not gone down from last year. Uh, strangely enough, um, I guess when push comes to shove and they have decisions to make, it may factor in. But honestly, uh, for my school, um, right now we're about the same that are looking out of, out of town. I would imagine you have a group of seniors now and probably parents who are full of angst about process and, and uh, things that are different uh, about process than they might have imagined. And one of the big differences has to do with testing. Um, at what point did, did sort of the testing operation go down for your kids? Uh, oh my goodness, then that has probably brought maybe more angst on me than them. Uh, no, I, I don't think that's actually the case, but we, we canceled the April test on our campus, the June test, the July test, the September test. And honestly, um, I made a call to central office or, or an email, basically begging, please, may we have some students in in October. You know, and the, and the rule was, if we're not in school, then there's not going to be anything on campus. Uh, they were very gracious. They understood um, that some students actually will need to take the test. And uh, we're able to have a, you know, maybe a, third of the test of this weekend. Now, you know, in our state, luckily a lot of, obviously a lot of schools, including those colleges that meet full need on um, those top tier schools are going test optional right now. Um, however, when you're in a conference and you hear we're test optional for admissions, and then a counselor asks, are you test optional for scholarships? And they say, well, yeah, but if they take it and they get a good score, go ahead and send it. That kind of tells us they're not scholarship test optional. So that's why I had to convince central office, you know, our, these kids need that. And they, a one or $2,000 difference in a merit scholarship could be the difference between a student going away to college and staying, um, staying home and going to community college, which I have no problems with. I'm a graduate, uh, but I want them to uh, meet their goals and their dreams. That's our number one. So there, there is some skepticism then of the test option. I mean, in the last 10 months, there's been a 60% increase in the number of schools that are test optional. And much of that increase is, is a, in that group of schools that are the most selective uh, in the country. I've had conversations with the deans of admission at those schools and their, their response is, you know, it's, it, it's hard for us to hold students accountable for something that they couldn't do. And as you just acknowledged, your kids were shut out from testing for the better part of half a year. And, and having been involved in the test optional environment myself in, in admission, I, I know how delightful it was to be able to look at young people and not scores. So you do find that it's a bit of a sell sometimes uh, to get families comfortable with the notion that test option is for real? Yes, because I am not comfortable with it for my in-state publics, to be honest. Um, the schools that you're talking about, I'm comfortable. I believe that it's the truth. Um, because basically they're giving out money based on financial need rather than academic merit, because if they get in, you know, their, their GPA is showing that they can do the work. Um, our state mm -hmm. schools, of course, they're tied to the money that their state gives them. And Missouri is um, a little on the Scrooge side when it comes to educational funding. And so, you know, they're trying to figure out how to divvy this out. And I, I guess it's gonna be for first come first serve, but those top scholarships, on those university campuses. My gut says there's still going to be an ACT tied to it. So I, I could not allow my kids not to be in, in the mix. Yeah, well, and that's interesting. I, I, I have a similar suspicion about the, the merit scholarship competitions. And, and frankly, when a student has a number that pops, you might as well let them oh, see sure. that because that could be part of the credential. But uh, 
you know, uh, I like to believe even in the scholarship competition that the, if the student makes a compelling presentation otherwise, that absent the scores, they can still be successful. But again, as you know, it's a case by case thing. Uh, and we don't know the answer until it's over. <laughs> that, well, right. <laughs> well, uh, and, and speaking of, of the evaluation of credentials, um, like in the, the, the end of the last academic year to be something akin to a fire drill, um, but not as, not as orderly as <laughs> a lot of fire drills will be. And, and so there really wasn't a clean endpoint. And I don't know if you ended up going pass fail for, for kids at the end of the year, but the, now there's another fire drill starting in the fall, but it's much better organized. The disruption that kids have experienced in their educational environment is pretty severe here. And, and I suspect there are a lot of families wondering, well, colleges know. Will colleges know what's going on? Will they understand that, that I really wasn't in school that much at the end of the year? Will they know that I haven't been in school to start this fall semester? How do you reassure kids? Uh, and, and maybe the second part of the question is, how do you help colleges know what's been going on in the, in the academic lives of your kids? I think like most high schools, we did try to explain a bit on our school profile that we did not go to pass fail. And I'm thankful that we did not. So at the end of you know last spring. Mm -hmm. um, but the, I don't know if it was the state or the St. Louis area that went hold harmless, which meant if a student had difficulty, maybe they didn't have internet access uh, or a different school who didn't even have a computer to give to a student, um, they mm -hmm. weren't going to allow their grade to drop from where they left in March. Now our students mm -hmm. had computers and everything. So, um, you know, they did a good job, I think, of at least keeping their grades where they were. Um, they did, were given the opportunity to increase them as well. Now, sure. this fall, you are correct. We just went in, guns a-blazing, uh, your grade is your grade, uh, you need to be there. Um, because we also had a very good plan, I believe. Uh, teachers worked you know, off their contract all summer. We had a group of teachers coming up with how we were going to make this work 100% not in the classroom. You know, I, I think of our chemistry teachers, you know, biology labs, how in the world are they doing the PE? <laughs> so there's a lot of planning over the summer that we were then able to come back in and, and really go 100%. For me, I, I am blessed that with the sharing of screens on Google Meet and Zoom, uh, I can do my job. Um, I will say, I think the FAFSA completions are going to be challenging. Um, even when I have a screen shared, I can't see the tax form, uh, you know, until they put it up to the screen. And with these trifocals, this is going to be fun. Uh, and then with iDocs, you know, for some of those elite uh, colleges who require iDocs, we just figured out how to use, if they have a cell phone, um, the iPhone notes, and then Adobe, um, and things like that. But all of these things I have to do from afar and, and technology is not my forte. So this is interesting. Well, you mentioned the FAFSA, and it brings up a question uh, for, for students applying this year. Uh, completing the FAFSA means that the family's submitting information from 2019. And you know, 2019 might have been a, a, a good year for the family, but a lot's happened since 2019. Uh, do you get families looking at you cross-eyed saying, well, how do I let them know what my 2020 information is? They're only asking for 2019. Well, and Peter, please remember, since I'm working with First Gen, it's the students yeah. who are dealing with the tax forms. The parents, True. very rarely do I have a parent uh, who's bringing them. I'm normally the student and I are working on those. Um, mm -hmm. So 
we have the, you know, I will, the first question I asked when I saw a student for the first time this year, how are you doing? You know, trying to get an idea and how's the family? Did anybody lose their job during COVID? And those are the questions that start, you know, that's how we started. And somebody asked me, they said, oh, so you're, you're a social emotional counselor. No, I'm a college counselor, but I have to know where they are, how they're doing. I need to know your internet. And I can tell because, you know, if we're going in and out, that's when I would get them the hotspot. Um, so those are the things that we would do first. But with FAFSA now, when I find, you know, I have the information, well, you know, mom lost her job for three months. Uh, we have many Vietnamese immigrant families and uh, most of the parents are uh, nail salon techs. Well, they were not allowed to be open, so they could not work. I have a lot of folks who cook in Chinese and Mexican restaurants. And of course, those were closed in St. Louis for a long time. So sure, we had families out of work. So then, you, you know, we have to do the explaining. You do the FAFSA as is, but then, you know, you need to talk directly to the financial aid. And so what we can be doing is working on those essays with the explanations, very specific, any kind of documentation that we can have to prove those differences. Mm -hmm. And, and it, you did a great job of making a complex process seem manageable. And I'm sure that that's reassuring to your kids. You, you said, I think there in one of your last statements, something about essays. And I'd like to kind of shift a little bit now to the, the, the essays that kids are writing for college. Um, when I talked with deans of admission in the spring, I said, I suspect you're, you're dirtying yourself for a lot of coronavirus essays. And they would all laugh and say, yeah, but that's okay. They were quick to reassure. And, and one of the things that uh, they said is we're, we're really hoping that that through these essays, kids will help us to understand how they've dealt with this particular adversity. Are you finding that, that students are, are warming to that task of putting to paper or old school, if you will, uh, their, their thoughts about what's going on in their lives? We actually went with the philosophy at Rittner that the explanation of how COVID uh, kind of changed your life or your family and income and that, we're doing that as more of that 200 word uh, explanation essay. And we stuck with that 650 uh, main essay telling a story somehow about their life, um, giving them a little bit more insight of who they are. So good. Well, I, I would imagine it's, it's daunting under any circumstances to write a college essay. And then just to having things swirling around you the way they are, not, not just the pandemic, but so many issues in the world. And uh, uh, just trying to make sense of Absolutely. it all. Absolutely. Well, you hinted also uh, earlier in your, your comments that the early decision is a factor for some of your kids. That's that's tricky this year, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you know, statistically, kids get an advantage with it, but few of them, if any, have been able to really see the colleges. Well, you know, Peter, it it took me a lot of years to realize this. This is the one advantage that my students have because they're Pell eligible students. So if they're Pell eligible, then they're gonna get the most money in an early decision. Um, so this is the one positive that my students have going for them in the entire process probably of college admissions is that early decision one. Now, I can't tell you how many hours it takes to discuss this and to educate my students. And they said, but I'm worried. What if I don't have the money? You know, what if we can't say yes? I said, that's your one out. And I mean, I will have that same conversation five times with one student until they feel secure enough. I said, is this your number one school? Yes, it is. I said, okay, I'll call him Johnny. Johnny, you and I are at admissions. Person A is applying early decision. Person B is regular decision. Who will you take? You know, who do you know wants to come? And, you know, so we, we go through that process and they finally come around to realizing you might as well apply early decision 
because you're going to get the best money probably from what I've seen in my 32 years, they're going to get the best money. Um, so students who are Pell Grant eligible, early decision, if they know that's their school, they know they want it. And if they can't afford the package, they can still say no. So this is the one positive that my students have going for them uh, in this crazy academic world out there. But would you agree that for the kids who are not Pell eligible, but still have some degree of need, there's a slightly different take on early decision? I mean, they're, they're... Oh, absolutely. If my brother um, has a junior in high school, and so we met the other night for about an hour, and I said, you know, you need to be looking for merit schools. You should not be looking at the, you know, the ones that are looking at need. Um, and so lucky, you know, he's lucky that his son uh, is in the merit range. Uh, but that's, that's the key is that high school counselors must know what strategy to play with each of their students because each student is different. In my six years back at this school, I think once I've had a student say price is, it does not matter at all. Hmm. So I know that the majority of my students, the best they can do is come up with about $1,500. And that's going to be from them working 40 hours a week over the summer, trying to save a little extra for college, but the rest is going to the family bills. My students pay bills at home. Wow. This is, this is very insightful. I appreciate the thoughts that you're sharing with us from your experience at Rittner High School. As we wrap things up, there, there are going to be a lot of young people who are listening to this conversation who are like many of your students, first generation to college and, and with, without an awful lot of orientation around them to this whole process. What would you advise them? Your first conversation with such a young person, uh, how would you advise them about this process? So if we're talking, let's say a junior, so when we flip over to the junior second semester, I suggest we cast a wide net. Uh, we're gonna you know, look and dream in our score account. We're gonna have lots of schools in there um, and making sure that they have our major. And from there, the next step is I have them do net price calculators using their parents' taxes. And sometimes, quite often, schools go off the list at that point. Um, I even had a student who, it was gonna be her early decision one school, and as she sat in on these online virtual uh, panels and everything, and she said, and I did more research, and she said, you know, they call me Miss K. Uh, Miss K, I'm not even going to apply to that school anymore because I can see that the student's voice is not heard on their campus. And so, therefore, I don't even want to go there. So, you know, they, they do that research. And I think a positive that's come out of this is that Colleges are offering more virtual tours for students like mine who can't get even two hours away for a tour because they don't have the vehicle that can get them there. Um, so there are a few positives that have come out, um, but we'll do the same thing we do, a very systematic approach, um, looking for schools, then narrowing down those schools. Um, keep your dream schools in there. We never know what could happen. But also for me, I've seen financial aid packages year after year after year, and I know which ones come through for uh, the lowest quartile students. And so we usually try to have them in the mix of their options. And I can say last year with COVID, that particular school that I'm speaking of, um, they actually had more of our students go there than any other in the state because they understand the first generation student and they work very hard to make it happen for them. Wow. So in other words, understand what you'd like to achieve, have a good plan. And uh, I'll just add a little bit of seasoning on that. Maybe believe in yourself too, because there are a lot of young people who 
without the kind of support you're able to offer them might just turn away from this whole process if things just get a little too confusing or too, too challenging. And do not be afraid. You should communicate with your college rep you know, at the schools of your choices because that is their job. The communicator I have found, the student who communicates well, uh, they remember them for those little obscure scholarships uh, or grants or something like that. So advocate for yourself. And honestly, if you learn how to do that now, you will do it when you're in college and you will be successful. Familiarity counts. And, and then it's a hard yeah. thing for kids to understand is the college going process is about relationships as well. So don't, don't be that stealth applicant that they see your name and they have no idea who you are. <laughs> You, you don't have a long future in that applicant group as a stealth applicant. Well, Julie, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking some time to share your perspective on the college going process. And I know the kids at Rittner are very fortunate to have you. Good luck to you and to them as you head into the, the midst of another application season. And for those of you who are listening, uh, I, I hope this has been a useful conversation for you and your planning efforts. We look forward to chatting again at some point in the near future. Have a great day and be safe. Thank you.